Hey super friends, it's Neil and Martin and welcome to episode 17 of the Get Your Comic On podcast. Say hello Martin. Hello Martin. <laughs> uh, so, we, uh, ooh, we've we been away for a couple of weeks. We haven't done one of these for a little while. We're, we're in trouble with the audience. But I did explain that we decided that we would do this fortnightly rather than weekly now because we want to keep it fun, we want to keep it fresh and trying to come up with interesting topics to talk to you about on a literal weekly basis and record it and edit it and publish it and then move on to the next one is a little bit uh, it's a bit time consuming isn't it so we're going to switch to fortnightly and uh, i think that'll probably keep it a little bit more uh, a little bit more fun and fresh for you and we won't sound quite so tired on occasion like episode 16 post comic con when we were a bit morose isn't that right martin yes so this week we're going to be talking to you about two episodes of Swamp Thing. We got episode three, which was called He Speaks, that aired a couple of weeks ago, and uh, episode four, which was called Darkness on the Edge of Town, that just aired a couple of days ago. We're also going to be talking about the TV series Years and Years by Doctor Who's Russell T. Davis, because we don't have any movies to talk about this week. Uh, and we're also going to be looking at a couple of comic books, as always. So we got Young Justice, uh, issue number six, and Superman, year one, issue one, which are both from DC Comics. Have I missed anything? No, I think that's a jam-packed episode. <laughs> yes, it is. So without further ado, let's jump into the swamp and have a chat about episode three of DC Universe's Swamp Thing, which was called He Speaks. Now, as much as I'd like to, I can't actually play you a preview of this because they don't do previews for Swamp Thing for some reason. There's probably no money. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, moving swiftly on from that one. Synopsis for this episode reads, Driven to cure the worsening epidemic in Marais, when her friend and co-worker Harlan is stricken with the green flu, Abby searches Alex's lab for a cure, but instead finds the latest supernatural reanimation from the rot. Although Swamp Thing uses his strange new powers to intervene, he's more desperate than ever to find his humanity. Meanwhile, Avery Sutherland is facing increasing pressure from financial sources and Sheriff Cable, who questions him about the death of Alec Holland. First impressions on episode three of Swamp Thing. It's very interesting that in the synopsis they mentioned the rot. I was just thinking that as I read it. They didn't... Did they mention that in the programme? They did not mention that in the programme. It was very obvious in the programme, but they didn't say it was the rot. You look quite excited by this fact. Well, it's very exciting. Do tell us a little bit more about the rot. So, the rot, also referred to as the dark... It's almost the opposite to the green. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, which can also be... So, obviously, you've got the green, which is the plants. Yes. And the green's champion is Alec, so a swamp thing. And um, you've got the the red. Yep. Which is the animal spirits. And their champion is animal man, I think. Not animal, vegetable, mineral man. He no, 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 no. That's different. And then you've got the rot, or called the black. Um, and their champion is another it's another chap called something arcane is that abby's brother it is abby's brother yes oh but only in the new 52 run of swamp thing not in the original run of swamp thing okay she so a jeff johnsy type influence i think so i don't think she's no, got... not that i would i mean just because he was masterminding dc he didn't write swamp thing yeah so if you i was reading her history on the way home today because i'm sad um and so in the sort of the original seventies and eighties run, she didn't have a brother, and I think she was she was a psychic, but she wasn't connected to the black and the rot. But in the okay. new fifty two 
verse. She was. They changed her origin, gave her a brother, and they were sort of, and he was the champion of the rock. Interesting. Which always kind of gave that sort of conflict between her and Alec. Almost a bit like star-crossed lovers. Are we building towards something we're never going to get to see? I feel like we are. But she's not got any psychic powers at the minute. No, that's true. There's enough going on around her, though. Uh, yeah, so sorry, back, back to the question at hand. Did, what did you think of this episode? Uh, oh, God, um, I can't remember now because we all got so excited about The Rock. It was good, I think. Yeah, it's building. It's getting a bit... I'm wanting more from it. Really? Mm. Oh, okay. Um, in what in what respect do you want more? I want more Alec. But he's dead. I know, but I want more Swamp Thing. We don't really get to see a lot of them. Oh, right, okay. I, I thought you meant, like, literal human Alec. Oh, no, we know he's gone. I think his screen time's increased. He's become compost. <laughs> Thank you for that Batman and Robin quote there. Uh, but his screen time has grown. Yeah, but we're not really getting to see any of the the stuff that's going. It's not really there very much. They're all the stories is focusing around Abby. Abby. And then he's just there when you go to the swamp, I suppose, yeah. I do feel like we've seen more of him. I suppose maybe episode four has the most of him, which we'll be talking about at the end of this. Um, but for now... I gave this one another 10 out of 10. This series is uh, batting three tens and one nine in the first four episodes. Spoiler alert for later in the podcast. Uh, so my my review verdict said, He Speaks is another excellent episode of Swamp Thing. It's an intense and atmospheric lap around the swamp, which leans in even further to the horror elements of the series and pushes its overall mythology to new places. And you can read my uh, my full review over on the website now. I really enjoyed this one. I think I've watched it maybe three times just to try and make sure I take it all in. Once again, the special effects are excellent. The uh, the bugs are all very, very cool. From the rot now. <laughs> yes, yes. You're going to keep doing that, aren't you? In all seriousness, I'm really impressed by the level of visual effects in the show still. We're past the pilot. You know, We're in episode three, four. We're nearly halfway through. And it's maintaining a, a, a pretty high standard of of production. It is, and I can see where kind of you can tell that it's got those very cinematic horror feel to it. Thank you, James Wan and Len Wiseman. I thought the story of this episode was, well, in fact, again, I'm saying a little bit about episode four, which we're going to talk about in a minute. But I think um, compared to the first two episodes, we're in a very monster of the week type place at the moment. There's still a huge amount of stuff going on in the background that's ticking through all the episodes, like the Sunderlands and stuff that's going on there, who I realise I've been calling the Sutherlands all this time, and it's the Sunderlands. Um, there's still lots going on there, but at the forefront is very much a bit of a monster of the week. So you've got the rot this week, and then you've got the blighty thing next week. Um, and that, I feel, doesn't work quite as well as the heavily serialised bits of the show, but I still really like it at the same time. Yes, I mean, we could, we'd have got a bit of a conclusion to the, the virus as well. Yeah, so Harlan catches it. Uh, Abby's little friend that she uh, she works with at the CDC, which seems to kind of spur her on to go and sort things out and go back to Alex's lab. And it did it did wrap things up a little bit. Susie's feeling a lot better. Little, little Susie Coyle. But I guess it couldn't have gone on for the whole season. It was just a bit easy, and I didn't really understand when they were like, oh, let's just stop doing things and they'll get better. Well, so that was because of her conversation with with Swamp Thing. At some point, they'd had a conversation, and she realised that everything that they were doing... Ah, he says to her, 
Um, well, they're just fighting back. Yeah, the virus isn't fighting, it's fighting back. But then if you think about it, at the very start, people were dying and they weren't having antibiotics. Well, yeah, there is that. That might be a plot hole you've just picked up on there. But you are right, it does It does wrap that up a little bit quickly for them to be able to move on. Unless we're, unless we're saying that the virus is connected to Swamp Thing, and since he's there now, that it sort of calms down Well, it is connected itself. to him because he was controlling Susie, remember? They were connected oh, yeah. in episode okay. two. So, so everything is connected to the swamp and to the the chemicals that are from Jason Woodrow. He got to see a different side of in this episode. He was less arrogant because you got to find out that his wife is suffering with, I guess, Alzheimer's. She's There's the scene in the kitchen where she's lost her pills and then he has to tell her that she's already taken them. And she tells him about how worried she is that she's going to completely lose her mind. And then it sort of works out that he's doing all this research to sort of cure her. Yeah, everything is to try and help her but it's being funded by the Sunderlands who are using it to try and dry up the swamp so that they can then flatten the land and build on it. Some really interesting revelations with them this week. Firstly, he's broke and everything is surviving on her money and she finally says no to him and won't give him any more money and it kind of pushes him over an edge a little bit. Well, he's not the kind of man that people say no to. He's very manipulative and works people to his own advantage. He is. I quite enjoyed the scene with him and the sheriff where clearly they've had a bit of an intimate history canoodling canoodling yes thank you is that a technical term yes <laughs> so they've been they've been uh, canoodling as you say it and she uh she kind of turns him down and that's not something that he really likes but i quite i quite liked how that played with her character in that she was saying he told her that she looks nice and she said to him i only look nice when your wife won't give you what you want well you should have done that in the louisiana accent I cannot do a Louisiana accent. Thank you very much. I'm not going to try. So I thought it was really interesting how that pushed him over the edge and then led to him murdering uh, the finance guy who's been leaking information to Liz and the local press. Uh, of which I think the local press is just Liz. <laughs> You've not seen anybody else, actually. No. There must be a print person. <laughs> she can't do it all by herself. Uh, but that was really interesting to see how it pushed him really, really over the edge quite, uh, quite severely. Because he's obviously the character that's more from the comic books rather than the wife. The wife is really a secondary figure in the whole thing, but they've really, really beefed up her character in this. Some interesting scenes for her as well. A couple of ring-type moments with the, the dead daughter in the in the mirror and then uh, reflected in the glass, following on from uh, sleeping with the dead daughter in episode two. Well, I assume that's the rot again, or this, the darkness that they keep refer- has been referred to. Well, are we not saying that there's one huge metaphor that the darkness is rising? And this is it. We're seeing the darkness rise out of the swamp, and these are the effects of it. So she's seeing the dead daughter. The uh, the tarot cards have all flipped round for Blue Devil. So now his destiny in Marais has changed, and that's all tied to Abby. And it all somehow comes back to Abby having returned. And that's where all of this is coming from, and that's where the rot has come from, and the thing that we'll be talking about later on from the next episode as well. So we could then be building to this sort of Abby being the, in line to be the champion of the raw if the darkness is rising on her arrival could be or i don't know one thing that i do really enjoy about this and the uh, you know the fact that we're getting to see it stream first on dc universe and not kind of secondhand or anywhere like that and it not being network tv is there are no spoilers you know i normally have a vague idea what's happening and what's coming up in the next episode or something i have absolutely no idea what's going on which is quite nice that's very unusual what was my gore moment of the week was it the corpse Oh, when the corpse just sort of dribbled out of existence. 
yes, that was fun. Um, also, the corpse just in general lying in the woods was quite good fun. Was there not a, a bloody gory moment in this one? I suppose there wasn't really. No. I hate to say this, bearing in mind I gave it a 10 out of 10. There was something I didn't hugely like about this episode, which was the bar scene with Matt finally telling Abby that he had a crush on her and playing the song from their prom so that they could dance together. Oh, that was a bit cheesy, wasn't it? And then Swamp Thing stood outside the bar kind of looking on jealous and being a bit like, eh. Shaking his twigs. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was shaking his twigs, uh, yes. But it was nice to see him finally speak in this episode. Given that it was called He Speaks, that kind of, you know, sort of makes sense really, doesn't it? One thing I picked up on my review about this episode, and it's actually kind of slightly fixed in the next one, although not, not hugely, but it goes some way to it, is that considering they're a married couple, apart from the scene where she tells him no to the to the money, we haven't actually seen a lot of Avery and Maria Sunderland together. Well, and that's quite important because she's the broken woman after the death of the daughter. Yeah. So the marriage has never been the same since that happened, to the point where they don't even sleep in the same room as each other anymore. Yeah, it's true. I just think that you can see how well they play off each other in that one scene, so it would be nice to see more of them, and you, you do get that in the next one. But up to this stage, I thought it was interesting that they hadn't really done any groundwork on their marriage so much, be it that it's not really functioning or that, or whether it was. I just I think it's something that hadn't been given enough exposure yet up to this point. Yeah, yes, would you get a little glimpse of the, the, the troubles they've been having when you see the, the sheriff coming in and he's like, you look good. All right, so before we wrap this up, what was your standout moment in this episode? I quite like the the sort of the monster of the week type storyline. Okay. Because it kind of brings in more of the, the darker elements and the yep. mystical universe of it all, which I quite like. It's still cool. I, I, I'm sometimes against a monster of the week type show in something that focuses on a more heavily serialized storyline, but... They, what they've done so far is enjoyable, so it's not it's not detracted away from the, the kind of the main narrative of the season, so I have nothing against it as yet. Highlight moments for me would be anything with the bug monster, just because I thought it was really well done. Particularly liked when Abby was in Alex's lab and she kind of crushed a couple of the bugs and hadn't really realised what was going on and then sees them all crawling over the roof and then looks and he comes smashing through the window and kind of... <laughs> Very cool. Really enjoyed that. Um, oh, I quite liked all ooh. the stuff with Madame Xanadu again. Yep, there was some good Madame Xanadu stuff, which is the you've got the tarot scene with with Blue Devil. Um, what else did she do this week? That was a bit really. <laughs> okay, I thought there was something a bit more pivotal. I'd forgotten about there. No, but it was good. Okay, uh, so what would you score this one out of ten? I'm gonna go a solid seven. Very good. So, as I said previously, you can read my review of Swamp Thing Episode 3 on the website, getyourcomicon.co.uk. I gave this one a 10 out of 10, which seems to be pretty much par for the course for this season so far. I'm clearly been a bit more conservative. Yes, you are. So Swamp Thing debuts new episodes every Friday for the next few weeks on DC Universe. And uh, if that's all you're here to listen to, then if you skip forwards for the next sort of 45 minutes or so, we'll be talking about Episode 4. <laughs> Was that your fast forward noise? Yes. So time for our first comic book review for this uh, podcast. And uh, you suddenly look really shocked, like you've forgotten that it's you. Who's leading on this one? No, I'm like a coiled spring. 
Okay. Uh, so you're going to be telling us about issue six of DC Comics Young Justice. So go for it. What do you want to tell us? So, yep. So Young Justice, so this is a new line that was just started, um, what, a couple of months ago now on the Wonder Comics brand. So I'm not really sure where it sits in the continuity of everything else. Okay. Um, but it's pretty good nonetheless. So this is from writer Brian Michael Bendis. We've got artwork by James Timms and colouring by Gabe L. Tab, And we are at issue number six now. So we've got a bit of a classic lineup of Young Justice, but we've got some new ones snuck in there as well. So this, um, so this kind of brings the end to the sort of the the new Young Justice coming together as a team. So we find Robin, Tim Drake, uh, Wonder Girl. We've got uh, a Superboy. We're not sure which one it is yet. How are we not sure which one it is? Well, because there's been a few Superboys, haven't there? Depending on what just one's pointing out, I haven't read this. Sorry. <laughs> so depending on what you read, because this this Superboy is probably classic Young Justice Superboy. It won't be New Fifty Two Superboy because he. Was... Oh right, okay. So it's not like a is it John Kent Connor Kent situation. Are we talking about what era of Superboy this is? Yes. So what which version of the clone? Oh right, okay. Oh, interesting. But you got to think one of them was a Lex Luthor Superman clone. One of them wasn't. One of them had psychic powers. One of them didn't. So this is more of the classic 90s Superboy because he's got his leather jacket and stuff on. Uh, who else have we got? We've got Impulse. So again, that's our pretty much our classic Young Justice lineup. And then we've got our new additions, which is Jenny Hex. Ooh, who's she? Daughter of Jonah Hex. Or Should have guessed that from the name, really? I think, well, maybe not daughter because she's quite young. I think it's granddaughter. Some relation to him anyway. We have got Amethyst, Queen of the Amethyst people in the Emerald World. Okay. And then we've got Teen Lantern. Um, hang on. Teen Lantern. Yes, you heard me correctly. Teen Lantern. Interesting. I'm I'm intrigued. So this is a young girl who managed to hack a Green Lantern power station to steal its energy and she's made her own little weird green lantern willpower ring thing that's pretty cool yeah so it's quite interesting in issue one the titans so not the titans oh getting a bit confused here so in issue one all the members of this new young justice find themselves in metropolis when people from the gem come to planet earth and start causing havoc and then they all get sucked into the gem and the next six issues about them sort of coming together as a team defeating this big bad in the gem and then the episode and the issue ends with them being sent somewhere off into space, basically. What's really interesting about this one is is that they don't remember being members of Young Justice from the Jeff Johns run in the nineties. All right. Um, so there's a couple of flashbacks to to Tim Drake and Spoiler outside the Hall of Justice, and Tim's like, "Oh, you know, I don't want to leave you, but I'm, Ooh, get, I'm cool. getting these weird flashbacks. I think I was in some team called Young Justice." Yeah. So now they're starting to get their memories back again and we've, they've just been sent to somewhere else in space, really. So it's quite interesting. Oh, I'm, uh, I, yeah, I'm kind of wishing that I, I was reading this, actually. I might have to pick this one up at some point if I, I think find you the time. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a nice storyline. It kind of, it picks up on a very classic storyline. I've not finished the 90s Jeff Jones Young Justice yet. I do have it. I think I've read the first couple. I need to go back and finish it. Um, but it seems like a nice new take on it. I'm guessing this isn't going to be within mainstream continuity, considering Tim Drake is still Robin and not Red Robin. 
Oh, okay. So he's actually just his normal Robin. He's not yeah. got the double R on the chest. Nope, he's just Robin and he's in his classic Robin outfit as well. That's pretty cool. So it'll be interesting to see where this goes, really. Um, yeah, it's quite a nice comic. It's quite a good storyline. Artwork's pretty cool as well. So what was the storyline in this specific issue? So this is tying up the gem world issue. So they've they've just defeated the big bad in the gem world. They've re-established order. Um, Amethyst thought that she was going to be accepted back into her family, but actually they've stabbed her in the back and they've sent them all off to a different land. They promised them they were going to send them back home to Earth, but they've sort of double-crossed them and sent them somewhere totally Ooh, out differently. Where have they sent them? We don't know yet. Oh, right, okay. You have to wait for issue number seven. It ends with, Where is young justice next? Lost in the multiverse. <laughs> that was... Is that exactly how it's said, it's said as well? It in is, yes. Exact you can see that Amethyst's sister is in a very dramatic pose as she's seen it. Ah, so she is. As I'm showing it to you, but no one else can see it. So if, like me, you're a fan of the extended Bat family and love a bit of Teen Titans and a bit of Young Justice, the TV series, I think you will very much enjoy this. Cool. So what would you give this as a score out of uh, out of 10? So I think the first six issues, I would probably give it a solid eight. It sort of, it was a bit like, oh god, where is this going to start with? But then it's kind of pulled it in more with the sort of memory loss and discovering why Superboy, so what I didn't mention was actually Superboy has been in the gym for a very long time and he's got a family. Oh, did they find him in there? Yeah, so they, he was already there. They found him there. So it's quite intriguing to see how he got there and what's been going on. So it's kind of, it's, it's hooked me in. Have they told us much of the story of how he got there? No, so he was doing some work with Star Labs, and then I think he, they were playing around as they do, and he got sucked into the gem, and then he thought, you know what, I'm just going to stay here because I don't really have a place back on Earth. That's a bit sad. Yeah, but you know what, I think he's realised that he was there waiting, but now that the Young Justice are back, he's got a purpose again. So it'll be interesting to see when they, and if they make it back to Earth, exactly where he does then fit in. Well, I mean, it's, uh, I suppose because it's the Wonder Comics imprint, I don't think it'll have a massive impact on anything else. No, but it's still something that they can explore for the character and how it impacts on him. Not yeah. necessarily how it impacts the world around him, but how the world around him impacts on him. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I, I think the Super War character is quite interesting because there's been so many sort of iterations of him as well. It's nice that we're getting a more classic Superboy. Yeah, it sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's quite nice. So uh, they're doing similar things on the Wonder line. So you've got, what, Naomi as well? Naomi is part of Wonder Comics, yes. And the Wonder, are the Wonder Twins there in Wonder Comics? Yep, Wonder Twins know? are yeah. also there. And Dial H for Hero. Oh, I've so, not read that one. Yeah. Uh, both Dial H and Wonder Twins have both been extended to 12 issues as well. Well, thank you very much for that little comic review. I look forward to seeing what you uh, pull out of the bag in two weeks' time for uh, episode number 18. I'm sure you can guess what my, my scope of reading is going to be. Something that stars a Robin. Maybe I'll go something less field. Maybe I'll pick something from a classic genre. I dare you now to pick something not by DC. <laughs> oh, he's a uh, he's stumped. Oh, fair challenge. Listeners. Challenge accepted. Yeah, pick something that's uh, that's not DC. Not because you know I'm trying to say we only talk about DC because we don't. Uh, but. That takes you a little bit out of your comfort zone. It does. I'm very... Nervous already. You're, very DC you're looking slightly twitchy. But you've got stuff like Buffy and Angel from Boom Studios. You've got Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. There's loads of stuff out there that's uh, that's not 
DC that is in your comicsology slash my comicsology from my reading list. Indeed. You're really nervous, aren't you? No. <laughs> I think you are. So we haven't got any movies to talk about this week because we haven't actually really seen anything new. We saw Toy Story 4, but we made a collective decision not to talk about that one because neither of us really liked it, did we? Sense the tone. (laughs) Sense my tone. And we've not seen Men in Black. No, we haven't. So we need to sort that out. We need to go and see that. We do have a cinema trip coming up this week, Super Friends, but uh, it might be under embargo, thwip thwip, for the time being. So instead, we are going to talk about a TV series, um, a BBC TV series, no less, a British TV series. Which we never watch. Uh, No, apart from Doctor Who, we just don't really do British TV, do we? Um, And this one came as a bit of a surprise. So uh, for those of you who kind of follow the website and follow me on social media, you know that I generally sort of get up about five o'clock in the morning and do a whole load of writing for the website for stuff to publish throughout the day before I go and do my, uh, my Clark Kent day job. And for a good couple of weeks, while I had BBC News on in the background, there would be this trailer uh, for years and years, which it always caught my ear because the music in the um, in the trailer was, was kind of annoying and it was a weird cover version of Somebody to Love. Uh, but it always made me look up and it was always during the scene where um, Emma Thompson's nasty Prime Minister whose name I've now forgotten, you're doing the four-star party sign at me, uh, was uh, was doing her tweet this moment. And at that point, it's kind of when you realised in the trailer that this was going to be a slightly futuristic series. So that was kind of what piqued my interest. And then you watched it without me, even though I'd said it was high on my watch list and you'd said, oh, I'm not really interested. I don't uh, remember Vivian you saying Rook, that. Vivian by the way, was the name of that character. Uh, so then you went and watched it without me and I had to catch up on the first one. And then we pretty much marathoned episodes two, three, and four in the space of 24 hours and had to watch five and six live as they were on TV. So for those of you who are not familiar, Years and Years is from writer Russell T. Davis, who you know as the man that brought back Doctor Who successfully with uh, with Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant many years ago. And the series follows a busy family from Manchester with their lives converging on one crucial night in 2019, which barely scratches the surface of what actually happens in this series. Um... But before we get down to a bit of chat about it, have a little listen to to said trailer with said piece of music that piques my interest at 5.54 every morning for about two months. What sort of world are we in? Because if it's this bad now, what's it going to be like for you? 30 years time? 10 years? 5 years? What's it going to be like? Did you know you can live forever? Don't you... Racing to the next disaster, and I keep wondering when's it ever gonna stop. I do not give a. Just a housing officer. I know. Ah. Ring. Mr. I'm not transsexual. I'm transhuman. I will be data. Do you think you're going online? You make a sandwich here. Somebody to love. Don't you need somebody to love? I love you, mummy and daddy. Tweet that. You don't mind, do you? No. Years and Years on BBC One. So Years and Years stars Jade Elaine as Ruby Bismi Lyons, Maxim Baldry as Victor Garaya, 
Sharon Duncan Brewster as Fran Baxter, Jessica Hines as Edith Lyons, Rory Kinnear as Stephen Lyons, Ruth Maidley as Rosie Lyons, Glenn McCready as the voice of Signor, Tanaya Miller as Celeste Bismuth Lyons, Anne Reed as Muriel Deacon, Julie Sandiford as Media 24 news presenter, this is in a very strange order this cast list, Emma Thompson as Vivian Rook, Lydia West as Bethany Bismuth Lyons, Mary Nightingale as herself, uh, Aaron Ansari as Lincoln Lyons, Rita Chakrabarti as Rita Chakrabarti, Andrew Joshi as Point Five Newsreader, Rachel Logan as Elaine Paris, Simon McCoy as Simon McCoy, Julie Peasgood as Julie Peasgood, Russell Tovey as Daniel Lyons, Callum Wolford as Lee Lyons, George Bakari as John Joe Alif, Lee Comley as Network 85 Newsreader, and Dino Fetcher as Ralph Cousins. That's a very strange cast list because it's organised by the number of episodes they're in. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's not like a series main casting. That's like a all in all in all tell you how many people are actually in this series from start to finish. Um, oh, where do you want to start with this one? Um, this was kind of like a Black Mirror episode stretched out over six episodes to me. Would you not agree? Yes, I would. So that synopsis doesn't really give away enough of the premise of the series. So really, that's only the premise of the pilot episode, which ends with a particular incident that then pushes the series and society as a whole on a particular spin. And then each episode goes through uh, a number of years to the point where it ends. And the the season ends in uh, what mainly ends in 2030, although there's a little bit of 2032. And it then says, no, quick, go back in time. Um so the, it's kind of it's it's in the early 2030s when it ends uh, and a lot happens in the space of six episodes what were your thoughts on this before we watched it do you know I was a bit sort of like oh a bit indifferent um, but then everybody at work was watching it like you must watch it it's amazing and I feel like I couldn't join in on conversations did you only watch this because you didn't want to be the loner at work no well I mean the, oh, yeah. there were no no, because it, they seemed to, it seemed to be, you know, like really, really good. And I thought, you know what, it's Russell T. Davis. He hasn't steered me wrong for Doctor Who. I'm not Russell Tovey's biggest fan in the world. No, that's true. You're not a big fan of Russell Tovey. So I thought, oh, but I didn't, I didn't realise he was in it until I actually watched it. But you know, it was really, really good. <laughs> Is that it? That's all. That's all. It was really, really good. I think it was so good and it was so scary because it could actually happen. Yeah, I was going to say some some context was needed on that one because it's this isn't a horror show. So when he says scary, the real, quite perturbing side of this whole series is that it could actually really really happen. That's a that's a real genuine trajectory that life could go in in the future. So what we see end of episode one, Trump nukes a Chinese island just because he can. Yep. And you think, oh God, that in his last happen. day in office because in his he last can. Day, yeah. And then everything just sort of turns to crap after that. It does. Uh, so really, uh, there's two there's two kind of sides to this series. The main thing that Russell T. Davis is trying to say is a political statement on society as it as it is right now, and that is very cleverly wrapped up in some. I guess you have to call it sci-fi because it it is in a way. So technological advancements and developments in the way we live that happen in that intervening 15 years. So things like uh, the idea 
So something that we would talk about right now would be the rights of with transgender people. So trans is a is a you know is a phrase that you hear a lot at the moment, um, and it's something that is very much in the public consciousness with with rights and how people are recognised in that situation. And this show picks up on that. And instead of transgender being an issue, transhumanism is an issue, whereby uh, certain people are so intertwined with technology that they feel like they want to be part of it. So they they get cybernetic enhancements, not in a Borg type way, um, and they class themselves as transhuman. And transhuman issues are something that the series deals with in one of its more science fiction type moments. But that is all tied into society and people's perceptions as a whole. Yeah, which is really interesting. So it's kind of like technology's moved so far advanced, however, society is almost regressing in a way. So yeah. that we, we, we get to a point where that everything just starts to fall apart and we kind of go back into the the dark days, basically, where technology fails, you know, the world almost implodes, you've got revolutions everywhere, borders are shut in, there's chaos, there's fighting, the banks have gone, you know, people you, are getting paid. You, you're up to about episode five now. Well, no, I'm, down, I'm giving an overview, I'm giving yeah. an overview. You know, everything is just a very dark time. It is, and it gets darker as the series goes on. So it start, there is a light-hearted side to it, and there's still humour that's in there, but it does tackle some incredibly challenging topics, particularly for people who live in in countries like ours, where, all right, we might not be incredibly affluent ourselves, but we live in an incredibly affluent country compared to, to many other people in the world. And it will challenge your perceptions of how you see yourself and the world around you because it puts people like me, like you, like your mum, like your dad, like your friend that you always see down the corner shop in situations that you think only happen to to people that you see on the news, to refugees and to people in third world countries. And that's what was so challenging about it. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a very interesting programme. So the way it builds up the narrative is you have Emma Thompson's character of Vivian Rook, who in uh, the first episode is she's a is she even a local MP or is she just a she's just a very opinionated woman? Yeah, so you can sort of draw her to maybe she's not poli- Theresa May. No, so think of a politician that doesn't really belong to a party because a hell of a lot of on-screen time for her being yeah. She's she's a bit of a black sheep of politics and appears on TV and slips up in f bombs, doesn't she, and becomes famous for it. She yeah. So what they she were essentially goes about, viral. They were talking about him starving people in Israel or something. That's it. And, and she says, says, "You know what? I don't them. give up." Yeah, I don't give an f. Um, and that leads to the formation of what's called the Four Star Party, which is her political party. But essentially, what you see from the pilot going on through the season is that people are drawn to her because she's an everyman or an every woman should i say um and those who are completely disillusioned with political correctness and social justice warriors and all those things turn to her and because people turn to her and because people are disillusioned with the banks and technology and the world around them she she becomes a bit of a uk trump (laughs) She she rises to power and becomes prime minister. Yes, she does. And as she rises to power, everything else kind of comes crumbling down around us. It's a shame really because there's there's a lot more story behind her as well that we don't really get to see. We get little snippets of it. 
but we've never really gotten to see who who was behind her. Yeah, so that would be my biggest regret of this season. So cards on the table, there is only one season, it has ended. Russell T. Davis has said there was never a plan to do any more, there was never a plan to make any more, it ends the way it was supposed to end. Uh, He even said that actually if you went any further in the future you'd need a much bigger budget to be able to show the technological developments, which is quite fair actually. Uh, This isn't exactly an expensive show, but what what you do see that is enhanced with visual effects looks good. But it's more about the the human aspect of it, really. Yeah, I was I was less bothered about the technology. I was more interested in the the societal impacts and the politics. And really, I think the technology up. was just to hook you in and just to help uh, amplify the fact that you were seeing the future. So it was, you know, it's like reflecting your world, but seeing it slightly differently because it is in the future. Yeah, yeah. More so than seeing any of the characters age particularly. <laughs> no well, one really aged in ten years. One of them didn't age at all. Gran. I think she was, what, 90 when we started? She must have been 105 by the end of it. People are living longer all the time, so she what? was just a... That's where she looked better at the end than she did at the start. Well, she'd had surgery by the end. She'd had her macular degeneration fixed. She had, yes. Um. Okay, so where do you want to start with highlight moments? Highlight, or what was your favourite aspect of the storyline? Or, what? sorry, what was your favourite storyline out of all the different ensemble cast pieces that were going on in kind of within it? I think the rise of an extreme political party that wasn't actually a party and just got in on basically a whim. That's just absolutely how it happens though, isn't it? Well, I mean, I can that's what we're trundling towards now, really, aren't we? Brexit party. Um, yeah. That's interesting that that's, that's the thing that you picked because you're not, you know, I wouldn't call you an overly political person. Well, we don't talk about these things in the house. <laughs> Okay, noted. Moving on. Um, I think for me it had to be um, either Edith's storyline. Oh, I did. I do like Edith. Or um, or the storyline between Daniel and Victor, because that was surprisingly quite touching, and also incredibly shocking at the same time. I think that was the point, wasn't it? Well, I mean, I know it was the point, but I watch a lot of TV. Have you noticed? Uh, yes. Funnily enough, I have. And I very rarely get affected by things that I watch in TV or in film for a particularly long time afterwards. But episode four of Years and Years stuck with me for a very long time after I watched it. Well, I had to have a biscuit afterwards. I was that distressed. <laughs> Don't downplay it. I'm not downplaying it. <laughs> you that. just needed a biscuit. That's quite distressing. I had to calm down with a bit of chocolate or something. Uh, yeah. So, so spoiler alert, I guess. Yeah, as with everything in this podcast. Oh, don't tell alert. them. They've got you've got to watch it and feel the emotional impact of episode four. I know, but what? <laughs> what I was going to say was, um, the things that happen in episode four are things that I would never expect and your average person would never expect to happen to them. Like I said a few minutes ago, those are the kind of events that you can picture in your mind if you're forced to think about it and think happens to somebody somewhere else in a much less fortunate position than I am. More than likely somebody from another country with a lot less money who's trying to escape from something. But they, those two characters are absolutely put in a position where they are the ones who are escaping from something and Daniel is is me he is you know he is an 
average normal guy in his 30s who has a stable job in the UK and has a home that you know is his and has a very very normal life for someone like us who then finds himself essentially a refugee on a boat I think you've given quite a lot away there sorry I just think it's one of the most thought provoking things I've seen on TV in years particularly British TV that it took something that you see on the news a lot and said actually mate this this could be you not just people who you see from another country it could happen to you it's like a really bad lottery <laughs> yeah uh, and I thought that was pretty bad and then they start talking about internment camps yeah so I, I quite it's really uncomfortable I even feel uncomfortable talking about it in a way, I'm gonna. It's gonna sound really weird, but I quite like that because the way that she, so the way that Vivian Rook sold it, you think, oh my god, that could, I could I see could why so people would happen. buy that. Absolutely, and that's that. Russell T Davis is is an utter genius at the way he wrote this series because the things that politicians say to you in this series are utterly convincing. They are put forward in very intelligent arguments. She was quite, what she says, she's like, oh, you know, concentration, such, a, it's not a bad word. You have concentrated oranges. Yes, exactly. You've got concentrated juice. Yeah. So it just means that there's lots of things together. So therefore, a camp, it just means it's a, you know, there's lots of people in one place. He's like, oh my God. Yeah. You've justified that and you could see people buying into that. Yeah. And the whole idea of, well, you introduce one person with, uh, what was it, monkey flu, um, and the population will balance itself out. Yeah, she's like, it's just natural selection. It's it's scary, scary stuff. That's just nature, is it? In a way, it's almost like that whole idea of car crash viewing and that you really want to look away because it feels very wrong and you know it's wrong, but you can't help but watch because it's amazing to think that that could come from someone, but it, it does and it's very well done. And Emma Thompson is amazing in it as well. It's not a particularly normal role for her, but she did it so well. A very compelling character. However, there is a slight downside. I didn't feel that the last episode was particularly well executed. The first half was. The second half let me down a little bit. I would agree. I actually said that I felt like it was trying very hard to set up a second series, so I was shocked to then learn that there was never a plan for a second series. It felt very much like the first half was, okay, this is it, we're, we're ending it now. And then it felt like the second half was the man from upstairs that said, oh, let's do series two. So they quickly changed the ending to set up series two. It's very strange, isn't it? It's a very strange setup. So over the course of the series, Edith, who is the, the oldest of the Lion siblings, has gone from a kind of freedom fighter, champion of the world, to somebody who is uh, is dying because of uh, radiation poisoning that she picks up during one of the events that happens in the series. And uh, she does something in the first half of the final episode that essentially starts a revolution, basically a global revolution um, in many ways. And then it transitions to telling the story of the last few minutes of her of her life and where she goes from there, which is transitioning well, she yeah she does essentially she transitions I hadn't thought about it like that so there's another comment on 
sort of gender politics there, I suppose. Um, but it's very drawn out, and it's... I get that it's one of the more high-concept, more sci-fi moments in the series. I didn't have an issue with that, per se. It was just very tonally different to the rest of the episode. It starts out very heavy and very dark and culminates in the, the beginning of the revolution and there's, you have that moment when kind of uh, the people in in what is uh, a housing estate tear down the walls which are all things that you will learn as you watch the series so I don't want to spoil too much and it has that very you know kind of fist pump kind of yes like you know we're taking back control and then suddenly you go to something very slow paced very uh, very well considered and it, it just doesn't quite it feels like two different episodes or even almost even two different shows I wanted more of the revolution. As did I. I feel like we could have spent a bit more time on everything sort of being torn down and built back up again. It felt yeah. very rushed. There were there was there was a lot more that could have been told there. Um However, I guess Russell T. Davis felt that Edith's story was very important. Um and the final scene is very much focused on her. And I don't could you call it a cliffhanger? I think it is. A, I thought it was a cliffhanger. There are definitely certain aspects of the show that are left open, but I understand in hindsight now, having read interviews with Russell T. Davis, where he's talked about the fact that it was never planned to have another series, that actually uh, what he was trying to say in that final episode and what he was trying to do with that final episode is exactly what we are now doing, which is start conversations about it. Start conversations about what was in the show, what you were uncomfortable with, what you enjoyed about it, but also... Uh, where you think it would go from there, what you think would happen next, or what you thought happened in that final moment. Well, job well done. Yes, yes. Uh, anything else in the show that you were not particularly keen on? No, I thought it was all good. I mean, Apart the... from Russell Tovey. Well, yeah, I, I've warmed to him. He's... I love the man. I absolutely love the man. He's won me over in this series. Well done, Tovey. Uh, being human, absolutely loved him in Being Human. Uh, the 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 sailor man in Doctor Who loved him as that as well. Uh, barely anything the man has done that I haven't enjoyed. He what? hosts a podcast too. He has an art podcast. It's very very talented, clearly. I don't think we want to say too much more because if you've not watched it, it's definitely something that we would implore you to go and watch. So I hope we haven't spoiled it too much. Um, the series has actually just started in America. Just a couple of days ago, it's uh, it's showing on HBO, so they've only seen the, the pilot episode so far. Uh, so there's still another five episodes to go for them. Can you imagine not knowing what was going to happen? Um, I quite like, it'd be interesting to see the response from America because it it's a very British politics focused show. I'm kind of hoping that there's like a massive response and they they cry out for a series two. It could be interesting to see if America cries out for a series two. I Russell T Davis said there was very little chance that he could be swayed into doing another one. Um, you know, like that lady said to us the first time we went to San Diego, the only reason we got Doctor Who was because of the Americans. <laughs> You'll never forget that, will you? Um, I never forget the look in your face. <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, I think I was probably screaming inside at that point in time. Especially when she also said to me, don't all British people watch Downton Abbey? Just pointing out now I've never watched it. To this day. Couldn't even tell where it is. <laughs> so what would you give years and years out of ten? Uh, a good nine. Oh, they okay. lose a point for the last episode. Um, I was going to say an eight. So I, I'm, I'm knocking off a point for the final episode, not quite being up to scratch. Uh, and um, I, I just think there oh. are a couple of points throughout it where it could have, 
been a little bit more daring. I don't think it was overly safe, but I think there were a couple of times that it was worried about being too controversial and lent into its humour a little bit more when it could have it could have pushed boundaries. But I think it still pushed them particularly well. Then you got to think it is BBC One, so... This is true. It's it's an incredibly brave show for BBC One, so um, high praise to them for, for pulling it off. So Years and Years is currently available in the UK on uh, BBC iPlayer. It'll be there for a, for a short while longer before it disappears. But you can also pick up the whole season on iTunes digitally. I think it's thirteen ninety nine at the moment. I'm highly tempted to pick it up just so I've got it to watch again in the future because I feel like it's something I could rewatch. If you do sit down and watch it, we would love to hear what you thought about it. Let us know. Um, usual channels, so you've got Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all at Get Your Comic Con, or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Neil Vag and Martin as at Boy Wonder eighty nine. Always interested to hear what you think about the topics that we've been discussing on this show. It's actually at Boy Wonder nineteen eighty nine. It's actually Boy Wonder nineteen eighty nine. Apparently, I've been saying it wrong for seventeen episodes, and you've only just thought to correct me. Well, I don't think anybody would be interested in my Twitter anyway, so. So before we go on and discuss Superman Year One, issue number one, uh, we have a bit of websitey news, actually, we, we need to pick up on that ha- that's happened in the last couple of weeks. Do we? We do. We have two new uh, writers who've joined us on the websiteiness. Uh, so we have my old friend Lucas that I went to uni with, uh, who is going to be focusing on horror for the website. After uh, after seeing Brightburn, I kind of came to the conclusion that horror and kind of comic book audiences kind of go sort of hand in hand. You, there's always a big presence for horror movies at conventions. San Diego has a huge amount of it, and as does MCM. So Lucas is on board and is going to be uh, our horror editor. Good uh, good job title for him. And then uh, James, who we've met at a whole bunch of events. I think the first time I met him was at Aquaman way back in December last year, and he's been at pretty much every film screening I've seen since. So James has joined us as a staff writer. So welcome to the two of them. You'll see articles from them appearing on the website already, which is really cool. Takes a bit of pressure off me. It means that I can spend more time planning wonderful adventures and fun things for all of you super friends to join in and listen to or watch or read. So I'm sure you'll all join me in welcoming them. Neither of them actually have Twitter, but they're both on Instagram. Um, you can see I did a welcome post for the two of them recently. So find them, give them a give them a follow, give them a like, say hey, and welcome them into the uh, into the Geico family. At this point, I'm starting to lose my voice slightly, but I realise it's me to talk, because it's now Superman Year One number one. First question, have you read this yet? No, not yet. Terrible. I've been very busy. I'll give you that. So Superman Year One is uh, by the wonderful Frank Miller, the legendary Frank Miller. With artwork by John Romita Jr., inks by Danny Mickey, and colours by Alex Sinclair. And pretty much does what it says on the tin. This is another of Frank Miller's slightly augmented tales of one of DC's uh, Trinity heroes. And it is a year one story. Although, to be fair, this issue starts on Krypton and follows up to uh, Clark when he's sort of 17, 18. So this is a little bit more than year one in this issue. But it's by DC Comics, and it's printed actually through their Black Label imprint, and it's being released in three prestige issues. So this one alone, uh, the digital copy is 67 pages long. So it's a pretty big ask to read, but I can tell you now that you will not regret it. So my review for this is already up on the website. I gave it 9 out of 10. 
and my verdict for Superman Year One's debut issue is that it exudes Frank Miller's trademark skill for taking well-known characters and putting a unique... By now, I'm sure uh, pretty much everyone out there is going to feel like they understand the origin story of Superman. Do they not, Martin? Yes. But actually, what Frank Miller does with this is highlights moments that you wouldn't necessarily normally see. So it does start out on Krypton, and Krypton is, you know, is falling apart as the story starts. But instead of uh, following Jor-El as he, uh, you know, makes the decision to put the baby into the spaceship and send him away, actually the scene is played from Clark's point of view. So it's we're seeing the world through the eyes of the baby as he's put into the pod. And then much of the scene as Krypton actually is destroyed is after the pod has been thrown away and you see the reflection of baby Kal-El on the uh, kind of the glass. I'm going to call it a windscreen for want of a better term. So it plays out differently to how you would expect. And then we see other key moments from the life of, uh, of young Clark. But again, done in slightly different ways. So when uh, when he crash lands in uh, in Kansas, you know, in Smallville, you get to see more of uh, how Jonathan reacts to finding the baby when he brings the baby home to Martha. And then moments that follow that up are things like uh, taking him shopping in the supermarket, uh, him learning to jump for the first time, but we see that scene from his parents' perspective rather than Clark's. There's a really fun sequence where um, he's playing catch with his dad and actually... Uh, the ball ends up under a truck on the farm and Clark flips the truck in order to find the ball that's underneath it. But although you could say that that's a huge moment of him finding his his strength as a character, uh, actually the scene is played more emotionally as a scene between father and son. So what Miller does is he just shines a light on opposing sides of key moments in Clark's life and I think that's a really clever way to come at the story because it's not the way that you would necessarily expect it to be done, if that makes sense. Yeah, sounds about right. So the only really big twist that we get, and this is a spoiler alert, obviously, is uh, is at the end of the book, Clark decides to enlist in uh, in the Navy, and it ends with him shipping out to go and see the world uh, with, with, with the armed forces, which is quite an interesting spin on the character and not something I would have expected. Uh, all the other bits that you would ex- kind of expect to see are in there, so... You know, you see his first crush in high school. You get to see that he's a bit of an outsider and get to meet the friends that he makes while he's in school. But ultimately, it all comes down to this decision that he's going to leave and go and join the armed forces, which really came out of left field for me and was quite an interesting choice. You look almost puzzled by it. Yeah, yeah. So the very final panel in the book is actually Clark leaning out of the window of the bus as he arrives basically at the army camp. Uh, and it says, Great Krypton is scattered cosmic dust. Sweet Smallville is a child's fairy tale. A new day dawns in a brave new world, and new challenges await, and new adventures, and Clark Kent is ready. And that is the end of part one, and it just jumps off with this whole new way that Clark's kind of next year of life could go. So I I actually have no idea where it can go from here, which is something that I'm really interested in. A very different take and a very classic story. Classic Frank Miller. And John Romita Jr.'s artwork is just so perfect. It just it is paired perfectly with uh, with Frank Miller's words, and it, it really is a stunning book to look at. 
the depth of some of the images, uh, particularly the landscapes, the stuff that you see on the farm in Smallville, uh, the the army camp that he reaches at the end, everything is incredibly detailed. The facial expressions are all really... It's just so well realised, and Alex Sinclair's colour palette is excellent as well. So uh, the army camp, everything is very blues and greys. When he's in Smallville, there's a lot of very warm tones. There's a lot of reds and oranges, uh, whereas Krypton is very, very different in its own respect as well. Space is obviously very inky and dark. It's just, it's it seems like an incredibly well-constructed book, and I think it's one of the fa- my favourite comics that I have picked up so far this year, I would say. That's quite a bold statement to say for you. That is quite a bold statement, and it's also Superman, which we know is not something that I used to particularly enjoy reading comic books of. It's only really something I've picked up in the last few years and kind of gotten into. So if you aren't reading this already, I, I'm, I'm telling you now, just... Stop listening to the rest of this podcast and go purchase a copy of Superman Year One Number One right now. But then come back and listen to the end. Then come back and listen to the rest. So and you, tell your friends about it. Otherwise you're going to miss Swamp Thing Episode 4. We'll give you a minute. Off you go. Are you back now? Are you ready? Should we move on? I'm ready. Okay. Swamp Thing Episode 4. Darkness on the Edge of Town. The synopsis for this particular episode is Realising that his new abilities allow him to communicate with life around him, Swamp Thing senses a growing darkness within the swamp and begins to understand his role in the struggle for balance between growth and decay. Abby, meanwhile, is forced to accept that the things she has witnessed in Marais are evidence of supernatural forces at play, especially when her return dredges up her dark history with the Sunderlands, and Liz shares some evidence with Sheriff Cable about her investigation into the death of Alec Holland. Lastly, we learn more about the mysterious Daniel Cassidy and the supernatural bargain that keeps him in Marais. What did you think of this episode, then? Again, I quite liked this episode, but I wanted more background to Swamp Thing and how he ties into the green and everything else. It felt like another Abbey story. It is very much another Abbey story. I mean, it was good because it was a bit Monster of the Weekish, and it was there was a lot of gore in this one for you as well. Oh, there was some wonderful gore in this one. So it sort of kicks off very quickly with that sort of corpse gnawing at a man's arm. Oh, when it drops out of the tree. Oh, I love it. When they're just hacking away in the woods, and then it's like, oh, there's a lot of like leaf matter falling down. Oh my god, there's a corpse! It's biting my arm! Oh, Yes, that's exactly what they sounded like. I just, I'm sorry. I just, I really get a kick out of the gore in this program. Uh, and then when he's stabbing his arm, when he thinks there's a snake on it, I was just like, yes, come on. Sorry. Not quite sure how to respond to that now. And then when he puts his hand down the, like, garbage disintegrator. Disposal. That's the one. And he mangles his fingers love it so yeah quite a bit of gore yep definitely um and again that sort of follows through really so you get a bit more gore with this sort of weird darkness virus thing that makes people go insane and sort of mutilate themselves do you think that was another part of the 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 rot then the rot in the dark yeah probably i mean it's all the darkness and it's all sort of decay and stuff so you could always link it all back to the to the rot, I suppose. Hmm. So I gave this 10 out of 10. So this was the third episode of four to get 10 out of 10. Only episode two dipped to a 
a shocking 9 out of 10. I said that this episode is another cracking episode of Swamp Thing. I keep saying that, but then I started this review by saying I admit defeat. This show's just perfect. Only four episodes in and it's becoming incredibly difficult to find anything to criticise about Swamp Thing. Another strong premise really pushes the show towards the darkness that lies beneath the DCU. I'm finding it really hard to criticise anything about this programme. I really, really am. It's a good show and it's, there's a lot going on. So we've got more of the stuff with the Sunderlands. So it kind of kicks off with him disposing of the body. That flashback to him as a child. Yeah, Didn't so really it, like seeing the crocodile get stabbed. But then you've got to think it's the swamp. So that's... His, swamp life. That's probably dinner. <laughs> dinner and a handbag. Yeah, dinner and a handbag, yes. And you've got to see a bit of sort of the darkness within Abby as well. So when that thing was inside of her and she was having her hallucinations. Yeah, so that was her dad, wasn't it? So was it her dragged dad her across the swamp. Was it it was something like the bad man? Could well, yeah, there is that shadowy yeah. bad man figure. Is that the darkness within her sort of thing? I love the practical effect as well. That was a really classic horror moment to have like it grab her leg and drag her and she was just again, loving the horror. Yes, it was very good. Sorry, I'm quite over enthusiastic. Uh I think highlight moments for me in this one were stabby stabby. Anything, any, any of those visions that people had when they were infected with the, this darkness were just really cool. And gory. Yeah, so you had Matt being stabbed in the middle of that <laughs> crayfish dinner that the Sunderlands threw dinner for everyone and then the, the sheriff hallucinated that her son got stabbed and died in the middle of the dance floor. Uh, I did... Ooh, creepy clown as well. Uh... So in the bar when Pops was infected and uh, pulled out the shotgun and he thought he was shooting at the creepy clown that was uh, attacking the bar, that was oh, that was also very cool. I know you're not a fan of a creepy clown. No, I don't like a creepy clown. There's no place for them. <laughs> no place for them anywhere in life. Exactly. Definitely not taking you to see it then. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, okay. Uh, go on, so tell me your highlight moments from this episode. So we've got to see a little bit more of Alec. Well, not Alec, but Swamp Thing. He's like, oh, I think the plants are speaking to me. He talked quite a lot in this one. He was He's trying to understand what's happened. He did. And then we've got to see a bit more of Blue Demon as well. So we realise that, you know, he's tied to Marine with some sort of pact. Until his time has come. I also like that Abby just accepts that that is Alec. There's been no... She's not questioned it. From the moment that Susie said to her, Oh, that man's ill and he, he says his name is Alec. She hasn't actually particularly questioned that fact. She's just believed it from the outset. Well, I mean, she probably still thinks that it's this virus that he's infected with. Or maybe that she deep down knows that all this weird stuff is going on and something more. And if she's had some sort of exposure to the mystics anyway, you never know. Maybe that's why she's a bit more accepting. It could be, yeah. I also kind of put that down to the fact that she goes headfirst into things, as we've seen right from the pilot. There's been a moment in nearly every episode where she's flung herself into some kind of danger or at some decision or at some thing without kind of thinking too hard about it. So I think it's just within her nature, to be honest. Reckless abandonment. Uh, I am impressed by Crystal Reed being able to shoulder the show, though. I mean, say what you will about it, focusing maybe too much on Abby over the swamp thing, but 
considering I really only really know her from MTV's Teen Wolf, I think. Oh, and obviously Gotham from the few episodes of Gotham that she was in as Sophia Falcone. I think she she carries the show really well. She does actually. She's a very she's a good lead. Very likable. I was glad that Matt wasn't particularly in this episode, so we didn't focus too much on the cheesy romance. No, I could do without that. But then I don't know that she feels romantic feelings for him. No, I mean, she's clearly going down the, the swamp thing route. Oh, no pun intended there. <laughs> A couple of the um, the promo photos for this episode were from the moment where uh, Swamp Thing takes the darkness back out of her when they kind of embrace in the, well, in the swamp, obviously, because where else does he appear? And it kind of reminds me of classic horror films. I don't want to say like King Kong embracing the woman like on top of the Empire State Building. But it's that image of the, like almost like Frankenstein or Jekyll and Hyde, the monster embracing the female lead, as a very classic horror scene where you're trying to say that actually there's a human aspect to them and a romantic aspect to them, and I quite like that they did that, even though it's, it's probably a slightly campy thing to do in this day and age, and somebody out there will think that it's not particularly, uh, you know, deep thinking to to just go ahead and have them have them do that because, what woman is going to fall or man or person is going to fall in love with a monster but I, I think it was just nice to see very classic of Beauty and the Beast oh yes I, that would, would have been the more obvious reference there wouldn't it I went for the option with less words it's quite typical of life really I go for the option with more words you go for the option with less any moments in this episode that you weren't overly keen on no, I quite liked this episode actually. It was quite good. It gave them there was a nice sort of something to hang your hat on for this episode. Plus, we got a bit more build up around the stuff with the Sutherlands, a bit more character development. So I quite liked it. It was quite a good all rounder. It was, and once again, I think it was a bit more monster of the week. But I still don't mind how they've done it because there's enough going on in that arc and everything around it that it doesn't detract from from what's going on in the background. Bit weird when Blue Devil was talking to his balloons. Although, as he pointed out, he was talking to balloons. I don't remember that bit. When he appeared in the hospital? I remember him being in the hospital with the balloons. I thought he was talking to the kids. No, he was talking to his balloons. Oh, After the kids okay. disappear, he talks to the balloons and then says, I'm talking to balloons. Oh, I missed that bit. That was one moment in the episode that I thought felt a little bit forced. So I understand that he now thinks that he's tied to Abby in some respect. But he just sort of appeared and was really awkward uh, which like you know even if that's what he was supposed to be in that scene then actually it worked really well because it was just really really awkward but then it's just like a, one of those like double blind things where we think he's tied to Swamp Thing but actually he is tied to Abby well, he thinks he's tied to Abby so he's probably more likely tied to Swamp Thing could be but it could we, well be we might never know we've got six episodes left to find out um, at this stage I don't think there's anything in particular that I would call as a as a low light in this episode. I think it was a, like you said, it was a really good all rounder. There's some some great great gore. There really is some uh, some amazing gore in there. Visual effects are still absolutely stunning as they have been all the way through the season. The score is great. The script is pretty good. It's there's just it's just, it's so hard to find anything to criticize about this show. A good all rounder. Yeah, so I gave this 10 out of 10. What is your uh, score for Swamp Thing Episode 4, Darkness on the Edge of Town? I'm going to say a solid 8. Okay, 
that pretty much wraps things up for this fortnight. I'd say this week, but this fortnight. So we will be back in two weeks' time with our next episode. So we'll have... Uh, so it'll be podcast number 18, nearly hitting the big 2-0. Uh, we'll have to have some sort of celebration at that point. Um, we'll have a couple more episodes of Swamp Thing to talk about. We'll have seen episodes 5 and 6. What else will we have done in the next couple of weeks? Um, I think we're going to see a film this week. Uh, well, that there's a, there is a film that we are going to see this week that uh, will be in cinemas by the time we release our next podcast. So It will be swinging into cinemas. It will. It will be web-slinging into cinemas by the time our next podcast comes out. So we'll be doing a nice big old spoiler discussion on Spider-Man Far From Home and just how that ties into Avengers Endgame and the MCU going forwards. Plenty of new comic books will have been out by then for us to talk about. Not forgetting that you are going to be talking about a non-DC comic in the next episode. If you've got any uh, suggestions for uh, Dear Martin, then uh, Twitter, at BoyWonder1989. Shout out. Let him know what you want him to have a read of, and we'll see what he can review in the next one. Likewise, if you've got anything you want me to review, then let me know. Uh, and maybe, just maybe, we might have another competition coming up for our next one. Ooh, I've... Yeah, we might mm. just have a uh, a Funko Pop that needs giving away. A uh, Funko Pop. Yes, indeed. Oh, I will have also been to see uh, Annabelle Comes Home by then, which I am uh, I'm going to see at Warner Brothers head offices, which I am very excited about. Uh, not with me. <laughs> why not? I don't do scary dolls. You don't really do anything scary, do you? Uh, Swamp Thing. True. It's the, the highlight of my scare. So I look forward to uh, telling you all about that one as well, which should be pretty cool. So until next time, super friends, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Bye. See you later. Bye. Bye.